Hi listeners, welcome to our 10th episode of Pas de Deux. I think that means that we are a legitimate podcast by now. Yeah, 10 episodes, woo! Woo! I'm your host, Jessica Williams. And I'm your host, Clara Peterson. So we're actually back in the studio this time after a mere, what, one and a half weeks or something? Mm -hmm. I think last time we hadn't been in the studio recording for like months, so it's good to be back right away. For me, it feels like a lifetime because I was on vacation last week in Europe having the best time of my life to date, perhaps. Um, but I also got into a discussion slash argument with our great friend Sarah about how I am a dance snob. <laughs> <laughs> she totally called me out. <laughs> we were sitting around a table in Prague watching the people go by <laughs> drinking uh, Riesling. And uh, I don't even know how we got into it. I think we were talking about Misty Copeland for some reason, mm. who's been a big force in the news lately. Yeah. She just performed Swan Lake. I think we missed it. Yeah, we missed that. And Twitter Sadly. blew up after her performance. Apparently, it was really great. Did she break Twitter? I think she did. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, so we were talking about just uh, like different dance types and dance bodies and ways of uh, being less technical and more emotional or vice versa. Mm -hmm. I, d I don't even know how we got into this, that, or the other thing. But she was like, well, but Clara, you're a ballet snob. I'm like, well, that's true. <laughs> I am. Well, I like to call it someone who has really strongly formed opinions. Yes. But maybe it comes off as snobby to someone else. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am a bunhead. I mean, I believe in very solid technique, you know, the core of whatever you're doing and from there expanding to explore different um, realms but I think I think I was also saying that I you know I admire a certain type of muscle definition in a dancer not that, that someone has to be a certain size or has to have like a certain trait necessarily but from my training I was taught to use specific muscles right so if I see like that development I'm like yes they're doing it right <laughs> and to me that's an extra layer of beauty and to other people that's like a totally unexpe unacceptably snobby thing to be like well you know, you have to have muscle definition here and not there. Mm -hmm. So, And I also think that ballet sort of demands that snobbery. It does. And it asks for it because it is such a an art form that's based on this hierarchical view. It's such a an old art form that demands that things be looked at in a certain way. Yeah. So I think it's actually pretty normal to expect certain things from the ballet world. Yeah, I find it hard to talk about these days, though, or even sometimes accept and acknowledge, because, yeah, I was even saying to her there's something about that that uh, you're seeking perfection and there's a transcendence in that, and that's sort of what ballet is about. Mm -hmm. Or that's what's really captivating about it as a dancer, maybe as a perfectionist, maybe that's why most, I think, most ballerinas are. But uh, that's what most people are rebelling against I think these days and especially a lot of outsiders they look at that and they say that's terrible to you know have this standard that no one can achieve and to demand that you look a certain way and that everything be you know that you're following some old pattern instead of creating new but but I don't know I'm a purist from mm -hmm. the ballet world and I feel like well just, you, you, know, you know what you like and yeah. there's nothing wrong with that yeah, you have to follow certain rules if you're mm -hmm. going to achieve perfection. There, there have to be rules. So, anyway, we like I think you and I both have a wide appreciation for a lot of dance out there, but mm -hmm. definitely understand that side of things in the ballet world. I just want to hear Sarah call you a snob. 
Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure that can be easily arranged again. <laughs> Sarah is supposed to be listening to our podcast. Subliminal messaging. <laughs> anyway, mm. so yeah, what do you, what have you been up to? Um, just enjoying more of summer. I've been yeah. attending a lot of Celebrate Brooklyn shows. Oh, awesome. I saw Punch Brothers. They performed some bluegrass, which was really great. Um, and then some Afropop music from View Farcatore and Tommy Crest. That was really cool. Mm. Um, Dance-related things. Our fabulous friend Lexi invited me to see a screening that was presented by the Dance Films Association. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. She texted me something about And you would have really enjoyed that. It was titled An Evening of Short Films, Hot Off the Press from Cape Charles, Virginia. Mm -hmm. And earlier in July, for 11 days, they invited artists to an artist-in-residence experience at the Experimental Film Virginia Festival. Right. Yeah, I saw this last year. Mm -hmm. And they asked these artists to... Um, come up with short films, short dance films in 11 days, Mm -hmm. which sounds kind of impossible, but they did a great job, and all of the films were very creative and wonderful, and it actually just reminded me how great it is to present dance on film. Um, I think, you know, we know what the capabilities of dance on film are, but it was just a nice reminder that anyone can do it, anyone can put it out there. You don't have to worry about presenting and you know, being in a certain milieu in the dance world, just mm. make some cool dance, some creative concepts, and produce a video. Yeah, that's so cool you got to go to that, Lexi. Did you feel like most of the films uh, had a lot to do with dance this year? Because last year, I think there was a range. Some of them were pretty conceptual, and I was like, I don't uh, know where the dance is in this. But <laughs> It was very conceptual. Okay. Um, yeah. Of course, there is dancing all throughout, but I liked that it married the two. Okay. There is a lot of both. Interesting. Cool. Well, uh, should we um, introduce and bring on our guests? Sure. Okay. So today we are really looking forward to speaking with Jeremy Ned, a physical performer, choreographer, and sound designer. Originally from Brooklyn, he received his training at SUNY Purchase and then went on to work with various luminaries in the NYC dance scene, most notably Kyle Abraham of Abraham in Motion, whose work received a New York Dance and Performance Bessie Award for his work, The Radio Show. Jeremy Ned then moved to Europe, where he danced with the Dresden Semper Opera from 2010 to 2012, and then went on to the Basel Ballet until the present time. And during this time, he's had the opportunity to perform works by Forsyth, Killian, Thoss, Ekman, and others. And he's also had the chance to present his own work in both companies' young choreographer evenings. And within these productions and also collaboration with other theater-based artists, he has begun more serious work with sound design, which has also become an integral part of his work. So we have a lot of interest coming from Jeremy Ned today, which we're excited to dive into. Welcome, Jeremy. Hello. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So we might as well just start from the beginning. Just tell us a little bit about how you got into dance and your dance training. I started rather young for a boy, I suppose. Um, <laughs> start around eight or nine through um, Elliot Feld's Ballet Tech. So that was where I kind of, two times a week, they would bus us from 
my elementary school to uh, 890 Broadway. Same building as ABT. Oh, in New York, okay. Yeah, yeah. Two times a week, went to three times a week, and then three times a week became full-time, and then I went to LaGuardia, LaGuardia High School. Mm. So I was one of the, the fame kids. So yeah. uh, is LaGuardia High School an arts high school? Or yeah, is, okay. this is uh, the one over in Lincoln Center right across from Juilliard. And oh, it is wow. the fame high school. The fame high school, the movie. Oh, it's movie. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's, I don't it's kind of a awesome. big deal. Wait, so how did you started doing <laughs> ballet? How did you get into that? I mean, ask only because, you know, not a lot of little boys do. Yeah, um, I guess it was just uh, not entirely my choice mm. um can't imagine it wasn't anyone else's it was just um the way i guess the feld program worked at the time and i and i would hope it still works this way um they pretty much just go around to various public schools and the city mm-hmm. schools and they they bring kids into the the gym they just see who has natural facility for dance oh. who has you know long limbs long legs uh nicely shaped foot yeah something like this that's so great and i just have to comment on that because that's how i got into yeah to dance and of course our mutual friends billy and carmen yes and Mm -hmm. it's just so important that outreach programs do this yeah and look it is look at the wonderful effects it's had in your life today you're a professional dancer I'm i'm a lucky guy yeah for sure, for sure. Did you love it? Like, as a kid, did you did you tell um, you loved it? Did you want to keep going? I, I found love for dance rather late, mm-hmm. I'd say. Um, at first, it was just a, a good way to get out of class. Because <laughs> I got busted out of the, out of school <laughs> okay. two times a week. So that was, that was great. And then um, I really enjoyed it when I was in junior high school. But in mm-hmm. high school, uh, I kind of lost my way. I don't know. So, uh, but then when I got to college, soon you purchased college, um, things became much clearer, thanks mm-hmm. to a couple of really good teachers along the way. Deborah Winger, an amazing teacher, really helped me get myself together. And then, yeah, I took it from there. Mm. Wow. So it sounds like you had a couple of mentors at SUNY Purchase. Yes, um, I was fortunate to have. Miss Swingert, Deborah, she'd kill me mm-hmm. if I called her Miss Swingert. Um, <laughs> Deborah, and um, I had her in LaGuardia my last year in LaGuardia, my senior year. While I was at Purchase, I also had some really great teachers. Um, Richard Cook passed away. Rest in peace, Richard Cook. He was a, an amazing ballet teacher. Um, other great teachers I had at the time there. Um, Kazuko Hirabayashi was an amazing teacher. Stephanie Tuman, the list goes on and on and on. So, yes, mm-hmm. Kevin Wynn, really mm-hmm. great teacher. So, yeah. Yeah. Some great teachers there. Very good teachers, yes. This is something that you and I talked about actually a couple weeks ago. I actually asked you a question as to whether or not you think there's a particular style or approach that comes out of SUNY Purchase? Mm. And do dancers Mm. who graduate from SUNY Purchase, um, do they tend to leave with a certain approach or style? Yeah, there is a, it's a very well-rounded dancer, I'd say. Um, I can definitely say some of my colleagues at the time when I I was there were, you know, had really strong technical bases, but could also move. 
What made you uh, transition to contemporary or modern? Because it sounds like you were training in ballet as a child, right? I've always trained, yeah, classically. I'm, I'm a classically trained dancer, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, I guess it's just the the beauty of living in New York. You're, you're surrounded by so many different influences, so many different mm. ways to move. It's like um, after a while you just want to... Want to try it all. Want to be a part of it all. And so, did yeah. that? Uh, was it sort of during college when you said you found your way in dance that you started exploring other styles, or did that happen more after college? No, it definitely happened in college. Okay. I'd say leading up to to university, I was pretty. I was in men's class, double tours, all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But in college, I really. Yeah, that's when things became a bit more room to breathe and you know not that there's not breath in ballet but um (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah i definitely um was exposed to much more for sure okay great yeah you've worked for a number of u.s companies and choreographers who have been some of your favorite choreographers or a favorite choreographer and why what was their process like um without a doubt um i could say working with kyle was a great experience i've had i've worked with many really great choreographers also in New York, but definitely working with Kyle, him being Kyle Abraham, him being a friend and just someone whose work I believed in and respected. It made, you know, everything a, a blast, really. How yeah. would you describe his work for some of our listeners who might be newer to the scene? There's a dialogue, there's a message. Um, it's his story. It's It's stuff he's lived. How he portrays that to an audience is very special because it's the movement vocabulary is all things he's trained in. You can see the influence of ballet, the influence of, say, Cunningham of, you know, any kind of release techniques. But then you can also see um, uh, there's feeling there, there's a message. So with uh, Kyle Abraham, you're talking about how there's sort of a a clear message and emotionality maybe to the piece. Did you feel that as a dancer maybe more than other choreographers, that it was more meaningful or... Was it more the physicality of the work that you really loved? When he would express to me or to us what he wanted us to achieve with, like, say, if he gave us a task, and he's like, okay, well, this is what I want it to look like. This is mm-hmm. what I want it, you know, or what he had in mind. And then you can kind of put yourself in that place and, like, oh, okay. try to try to deliver that that thought or that image, if that makes sense, you know, sure. physically. Sure. Yeah. So the range of movement in Kyle Abraham's work is so beautiful. Yes. He just really pulls movement out of his dancers in a very dynamic way. Improvisation is a huge part of his process. Oh, really? Yeah. And, yeah, I remember everything. We would just, you know, learn his improvs. And then, you know, Mm. from there we'd, we'd, you know, we'd dissect them. And then we would try and, you know, recreate them and then put our own spin on them so do you think it's uh the improvisational nature of the process that makes you feel like you can put yourself into the piece more and express yourself more you like working with improv in particular yeah um i i do enjoy working with improv i know definitely when i do my own stuff maybe that's from kyle's influence i definitely try to Uh. have a improvisational aspect to it for sure um but i guess a big part of it is that i guess kyle would um trust his artists that you know Mm. he would give them something and then if 
of course he would tell you how he felt about it but um you know and I know some people struggle with that we've talked before in the podcast about improv um in fact I think it was with Tracy who said that originally she she didn't like improv and mm-hmm. I feel the same way mm-hmm. and maybe it's something about growing up a strict snobby bunhead mm-hmm. um but it's very intimidating and I never know what to do um did you ever struggle with it or did it come very naturally to you no I think it's something that you find comfort with over time you just have mm-hmm. to kind of um there's no right or wrong there's you know I think if you kind of go in with a, a preconceived notion of what it should look like or what it has to look like or what you're trying to come up with it's not an improv it's kind of just you know maybe a bit setting yourself up for defeat so tell us how you transitioned into working in europe for dresden semper opera ballet and what it was like making that transition at the time i was just taking a bit of a break from dance a bit of a a pause and just taking classes around the city then starting to go more into doing freelance work and projects and then I was able to fortunate enough to meet um Nina and Susie Goldman these two lovely women who just kind of see me taking class around the city and um they were just really adamant that I should be working someplace and so they pretty much just whenever they knew a friend who was in town or just any contact they could pull, they would just say, hey, go talk to this one, email this person. And then the director for Semper Opera was in New York. And then I believe it was Nina who organized for me to take class and for him to come check me out, director Aaron Watkin. And then, um, yeah, he, he offered me a job. So I took it. That's great. So in your case, taking class in New York City was the way that you got noticed and um, eventually fell into this really great line of work. Yeah, super fortunate. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And was that at Steps on Broadway? Um, I I met Nina and Susie actually taking the amazing Christine Wright's class. She taught at Studio at Gibney at the time. Oh. And she's gonna give me in Studio Five too, and she's an amazing teacher. Um, a teacher who I've been taking class with probably since I was in high school. Actually, she's so yeah. She's also a a bit of a ballet guru for me. And do you think if you had taken class, are there other proactive steps you can make, like talking to the teachers afterwards? Like, would you recommend certain things to dancers if they're trying to get hired and just in, in New York taking class, keeping up on their technique? Yeah, the New York dance scene. I mean, it's <laughs> sometimes, I mean, the scene. the scene. I've been away for a bit, but um, mm-hmm. it seems to me the best way to get to spread your, your face in the scene is just to be present. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, to really be in class but definitely support other people's work and you know go to people's shows and yeah and express your interest in people's work i think there's nothing Mm -hmm. that's something i've learned that there's nothing wrong with just shooting someone email and saying hey can i come check out your rehearsal or oh even to watch the rehearsal yeah i mean you know if you just ask i mean i think i just say yes or no i mean Hmm. that's something i had to kind of get past myself it's just you know never hurts to ask you never know what you'll hear so if you don't ask, then you'll never know. 
Very cool. Young dancers, take note. Um, so tell us about some of the work that you're performing at the Dresden Semper Opera, as well as the Basel Ballet. While in Dresden, we performed a very, um, it's a very mixed rep. And it was like I, I hadn't worn white tights in a long time. And there I was. I just got to do some Balanchine. Oh. Got to do some some Forsyth. <laughs> do you enjoy um, performing Balanchine? Um, at the time, I don't know if I could say I did. No, I mean, a lot of people <laughs> don't. It's very, it's, you know. It's not easy. Um, there's one thing I definitely have a huge amount of respect for is corps de ballet work because mm-hmm. it's not easy. It is not easy at all. Yeah, the whole the whole classic, you know, gamut. Uh, Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, we did those. Mm. Um, Forsyth, got to do some work by Stain Sellis. That's very nice also. Um, Stain is a very um, diverse choreographer. I feel, I feel like the work that I've, I've seen him present, is it Cinderella? Really nice production. Really, It's really grounded work, but it's mm. you know movement that's kind of based within the, the ballet vocabulary. So it's, yeah, it's beautiful work. Beautiful work for sure. And did you mostly enjoy performing the classic works of ballet or, say, Forsyth or some of the more modern? Ballet's hard. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, sure. it's, it's really... Um, but you're trained in it. Yeah, trained, and I guess... No, I, I do have a, a appreciation for ballet, but I just began to feel a bit... not. I couldn't find the same freedom that I can mm. find oh. away from such a strict vocabulary. And I think I would block myself a lot when it came to... In what ways came block to yourself? Um, like you said earlier, you know, you, you get caught up in um, perfection and, you know, the, you know physical mm-hmm. ideas and stuff like this. And I think once I kind of came to terms with my own anatomy and, you know, what it's going to be on my body, ballet became a lot more fun. So I, I, I love taking ballet class, actually. It's my one of my favorite things to do. But that's, uh, you say, on your body. like, it, it, And this is something we were kind of talking about, Sarah and I, my friend and I, sitting in Prague, uh, how movement comes out differently on different bodies, which is mm. a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does get all tied up in ballet with that perfection and that standard, and you do have to kind of find mm. where it's okay to deviate from what your original idea might have been perfection how how do you think your body does ballet in a way that maybe is different or was hard for you to to grapple with at first i think when it comes to all that stuff i'm actually i'm pretty fortunate i you know lucky have a a decent facility for for ballet but Mm -hmm. um ballet is a is a feeling more than anything to be Mm -hmm. really honest with you i feel like some of my favorite ballet dancers may not have been the most facilitated or naturally built for ballet, mm-hmm. but they they understood something about the delivery of ballet that I don't think um, that, that I really translated the same. Yeah, that's so great to hear you say ballet is a feeling. Right. And, and dancers, they get so caught up in the technique yeah. that they forget that it really is something much prettier and 
feeling is the best way to say it. Yeah. You have to embody sort of this ethereal, larger than life. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, for me, uh, a big thing was I was just a bit more based in reality. If that, Mm. not to say that Valley is not real, but um, I couldn't, I couldn't engage the same way when it came to classical works and stuff like this. Well, I I think ballet is fantasy. Yeah. I think it is in a lot of ways. Yeah, you can say that for sure. For sure, for sure. Maybe we need to start a quote section on our Facebook page as a new Mm. audience engagement thing. Yeah. (laughs) Ballet is a feeling. Ballet is a feeling. Mm -hmm. Ballet is a feeling. We're going to quote. So tell us about a recent project that you enjoyed. Well, I have to say that I always (laughs) had a really good time presenting my own work most recently at Teatro Basel. That was really a, a great time. It's really nice to be able to do your own work and have a theater help you a lot when it comes to equipment, stage design, dramaturgy. It's a really special feeling because coming back to New York, it's a you see it's kind of a, a privilege that's not so readily available to a lot of your your friends making work. So you had access to a dramaturg? Um, yeah, if if we if we wanted, we could ask for in house help and I mean it was just it was all there. That's kind of the beauty of working for an opera house. It's just, you know, it's all there. You just just have to kind of go and ask. I probably you know, maybe wasn't like specifically there for us, but if you just go in, you know, knock on someone's door and then they're there to help and yeah line designers sound designers yeah it's that's an amazing thing yeah yeah that's very different than the u.s yes Mm -hmm. i know yeah i think this is the first guest we've had who's presented work in well i guess to our knowledge but in a large theater setting where you would have set designers oh yeah it's 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 always been on our on the smaller stage not to you know really Mm -hmm. but even the the works that are presented on the the smaller stage are about like the same size as you know some spaces here in new york that are like in demand so that's exciting it's very exciting so you had they built a set for you they helped me realize my set i Mm. i was it was simple but it was just you know stuff that i probably cannot afford on my own or Mm -hmm. you know access on my own and it's nice to have that and is it common for dancers in that theater to present work and have access to all of these resources very much so i mean every every season i don't think we'll be doing it next season but they do a dance lab so the young choreographers evening so the year i did it was seven choreographers this year it was six so um it's a, a reoccurring thing for sure and yeah. um, that's specifically for the dancers? Yes. yes. Oh, wow. That's really great. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely a different model than U.S. companies, although some U.S. companies I do see presenting dancers' choreography. Yeah. But how do you think it truly differs versus Europe in terms of the support that's offered a choreographer? Funding. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. Um, there's so many talented creators movers in new york and across the across the country not just new york they're everywhere but um the resources are limited are really i mean if you if you can look you know for the right residency or the right you know amount of funding or you know excuse me the right research grant um it's there but it's 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 limited in quantity i feel here and when it comes to 
it just there seems to be so much more resource and i mean maybe because it's things are state funding is much more readily available do you just apply directly to the government for funding is that typically how the funding system works in switzerland specifically i can definitely say there's um each canton kind of has their own way of providing funding and i haven't quite made that step yet but i've definitely done a a good chunk of research about it it's there for sure Mm -hmm. it's there you just have to you know be very organized in what you're presenting you have to have all your your numbers straight in terms of how you would pay your dancers, how much rental of spaces, you know, various logistics and and a strong concept. And if they, if you're able to present it well, you can be considered for decent, decent funding for sure. Here, um, I've heard a choreographer recently tell a dancer who asked, oh, can I be in your piece? Um, this choreographer said no, because I want to do it the right way. I want to actually be able to pay you. And it's really sad that this choreographer is saying no because they don't have the resources to do this, even though this dancer probably would have danced for free. And so I see both sides. I understand the choreographer wants to pay people appropriately, but at the same time, that probably means the choreographer is supporting their own art and not necessarily getting money from the dance itself so that's what that sounds like yeah for sure and and good on them for for doing that it's a shame they have to do that but um i definitely um respect that that model for sure and i definitely think people should be compensated for their work i mean even if it's in a more of a like an honorary kind of it's not what it should be i mean i'm in a situation where i where i usually work with my colleagues at the theater and the last production we did we kind of put on a show together and we broke even I mean, no one lost any money mm. but it was enough to you know maybe have a little bit extra and take folks out for drinks and stuff <laughs> like that and then, and then help the people or pay the people who really did help us like we had a friend also do like you know who ran the tech board and of course i wanted to pay him and then a friend who helped us film trailers and stuff so we wanted to pay him it was anything sizable or what it should have been its true worth, but it was something that we could give, and we made nothing in return, but, you know, that's okay. That's what but it is. you broke even, which is yeah. impressive. Saying a lot. Compared yeah, to yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, definitely. Um, can you tell us about the work that you presented at the Basel Theater? And maybe we haven't really talked about your choreography yet, so oh, sure. generally how you approach it, what your goals are. Yeah, the work I'm, I'm what I'm working on at the moment is experimental. I'm trying. I'm mm-hmm. trying to find it. I'm. I'm trying to find something that's that's real to me. Yeah. Um. So it's definitely pretty text based. I try to the last do what I did with a friend of mine. It was just kind of exploring real feelings. What we were going through, honestly, at that time, you know, you kind of get burned out by dance. So you're like, what am I even? What am I even doing with this right now? What am I yeah. even trying to say with with dance? So we kind of just used a couple pop songs and mm. explored that that feeling what that was to us and what very really meta. say again very meta you're exploring the burnout of dance through dance yeah like yeah, yeah yeah i suppose yeah um and yeah, we, we talked we we danced we just stood you know was, there was talking in the piece yeah I, wow. I i like i like speaking on stage i like conveying literally what i'm thinking and 
mm-hmm. feeling and then, you know, sharing with the audience. I mean, yeah, I think that's that's kind of where I see it as more performance, I suppose, and mm, okay. than strictly strictly dance, trying to to find that ground at the moment. I, do you still hire dancers for your pieces, or at the moment, I, I usually work with two friends mm-hmm. that are colleagues at the theater because our schedule is quite busy. Mm, yeah. So sometimes it's not that busy, but when it is busy, it's it's easier to have someone that you can kind of just turn to at the theater and um just go to work just kind of you have the space another luxury to be able to just hang out at your theater and yeah just kick around until you want to go home and would you say your choreography where there is movement is more uh, modern or balladic or just hip hip hop i don't know drawing on the whole range my experience i suppose it's it's definitely comes from a improvisational place would you say your ideas come to you in an exploratory way like you are exploring themes or ideas or um, feelings that maybe you want to convey yeah it's always something that's kind of on my mind and then I'll just maybe start talking to a couple friends about it and then see if there's really something more there than just like you know healthy conversation and then if something can really spring out from that if you can really find like or develop build a piece, build something around that idea, that that concept. So yeah, that's definitely a huge part of it. Can you give us an example of maybe a concept or an idea that you put out there to friends or people and that you talked about and then developed a concept from there? A piece that I that I did for um the dance lab that was pretty pretty concept heavy. It was just kind of based on um I suppose authenticity was loosely based on this whole drama between Cares Mocker and Beyonce and, you know, <laughs> original movement and copyright and, you know, intellectual property, you know, stuff like this, you know, it's just like, what is, what is homage? Where, where do you draw the line between, you know, paying tribute to someone or, you know, just flat out copying you know like what's mm. where is where is the influence or just where is just theft take that theme and then abstract you approach it and see where you can go with it yeah that's wow. a really deep concept yeah. to explore and investigate and dance i wouldn't even know where to begin did you do any direct stealing in the piece yourself to convey that idea like take choreography that beyonce had done and oh yeah into the piece in yeah the yeah yeah i definitely i tried to yeah, disguise movement if you will try to recontextualize you know mm. slow it down speed it up see what because it's you know mm. i suppose a specific audience may recognize it some right. people may not recognize these kind of you know motifs and stuff like this and so i love that you start with an idea and you really try to explore it would you say that this is a generally accepted approach in Europe do most choreographers attempt dance from this approach I guess there's a bit of both I, I, I've seen a lot of work that comes from a very conceptual place to me that's very like that comes off very well thought out and like well where did you even find that idea how did you get from point A to point Z with all that with that you know concept but then I've also seen a lot of work that's pure movement and I'm sure there's some idea behind it or some you know a a message of some sort but um 
it would come off to me more as movement. I ask because, you know, it is a generalization that American dance is much more movement-based and mm. much more concert dance, whereas European dance is more conceptual and starts mm. with an idea. It's nice to hear you say that there is both in Europe, because if we're mm. just going off of generalizations <laughs> and we have this idea that the Americans are just doing the pretty dumb dance. And <laughs> no, pretty dumb. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> pretty dumb. Well, I think um, yeah. it kind of comes back to um, how much resource you have to really explore and realize your concept i feel like a lot of a lot of people's work may come from that place but if you don't have the the same tools and maybe you don't need the same tools i feel like some of the works that i've seen that if you they've had really minimal things to convey their idea they were able to totally achieve what someone who had a huge budget achieved with you know lights projection because that's why I think a big difference is there's a lot of pyrotechnic works I'm seeing a lot of in these uh, more major opera houses in Europe that you kind of you have the resources like the impressive projector the the great lights and all these things to kind of to really convey this idea that you know a lot of creators here don't really have the same access to, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And they they can still do it, but um, it's just a different way of handling it. So maybe that's why some choreographers may find themselves digging deeper in movement because that's what they have to hmm. them. So you know, if you don't really have the that same palette of tools, you don't really think to, to go there. Absolutely, and I'm sure U.S. choreographers don't have the same amount of time that yeah. European choreographers do and... Oh, and yeah. there's a greater intellectual tradition in Europe in general. Yeah, there's, you know, but there's, we have a, that's one thing. I can definitely say there's a lot of, you know, American creators whose work is, you know, there's Bill T. Jones, mm-hmm. Trisha Brown. Mm-hmm. There's amazing people yeah, who've come with amazing work. And, you know, it's here. It's just, you know, it's a bit more few and far in between, at least mm-hmm. for, like, the, the notables and stuff like this, for sure. Actually, there's a dance company, uh, TU Dance, to Dance. Actually, yep. I don't know how they want to pronounce it. Out of Minnesota. I yep, don't know if I'm you familiar. know them. Yeah. There, um, I trained with um, um, their the leaders of the company, Tony Yuri and Yuri. Yeah. Um, Yuri, or I think Tony in particular. Yeah. Um, I took from her growing up. She was the most incredible teacher. I mean, we loved her. And I think they founded two after I had graduated from high school, actually, or right around that time. And um, I've always kind of watched from afar. My mom has seen them, but I haven't gotten mm-hmm. to go home. And they're going to be in New York. Uh, so speaking of choreographers, mm-hmm. um, they're going to be here performing in Central Park next week. Actually, we probably won't release this beforehand, but um, I'm going to go see them. I'm really excited. Definitely, and yeah. their choreography is just so brilliant. It's... Um, is really pushing boundaries, mm-hmm. as as are a lot of choreographers making contemporary works these days. But it's based on that really strong core, like Ailey, the you know mm-hmm. classic mm-hmm. ballet. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. I mean, everywhere, and coming from Minnesota, I find there are a lot of very lesser known or you know less well known companies that are yeah, off the charts brilliant great work. And yeah. there's also you know names like Cunningham and stuff like mm-hmm. this. We think, wow totally ahead of his time American choreographer and yeah it's it's here it's possible it's just I don't know maybe things are a bit out of a a rough place at the moment I feel 
Well, let's talk about that a little bit more. I like that you brought up some examples, Trisha Brown and Bill T. Jones. They definitely work from a conceptual and intellectual framework. Bill T. Jones is very intellectual. It's definitely in American dance, Yes. but it does seem like it's not as accessible to a larger audience. A lot of American Mm. choreographers do work in Europe, and so they are influenced by the European traditions there currently. Like Forsyth. Mm -hmm. Like Forsyth and um, just an intellectual approach to dance. But it seems like the artists here, um, and particularly a lot of artists which are, for example, presented at American Realness every year, Mm. um, they do just take up this really small corner of the dance world. And some people have called it an insular dance world. We're not necessarily saying we agree with that. Mm. Um, But it does seem like this sort of closed-off world where not many people are able to see the work and digest the work, like a much larger audience. Hmm. Um, It does seem to be just dance-oriented audiences. And I guess my larger question is, this is a question for everyone, is there a way that choreographers in America can make their work more known and digestible to larger audiences? Like, why is it that American choreographers are not as well-known as, let's say, a European choreographer? That's such a big question. It's huge. (laughs) Um, I think the whole idea of what's digestible, I mean, I feel like American audiences are the American audience on a a general scale. Yeah, it's, they they want, art shouldn't be so easy, I feel. I feel like um, that's why I really do like what kind of comes out of this, the whole American realness scene and everything like that, because I feel like, challenging work is very important especially for an american audience for the american audience because i feel like um i don't know when and why or how being uncomfortable from art became bad but that seems to be the case it seems to be like um the the general public i don't want to say an uneducated or just not an arts privy audience doesn't really want to be challenged in any any way and that's a bit unfortunate that's why I really think it comes down to I think you need to keep pushing those boundaries and presenting work that makes the audience kind of look at themselves or just reflect not to look at yourself but just makes them think something just about what they're seeing and so just it should be entertaining it's you know Mm. should be entertaining that's that's another idea but um it shouldn't only be entertainment for entertainment's sake, mm-hmm. at least not all the time. Right. You know? What is, uh, let's take a quick step back for our listeners and me. I need a refresher. Can you uh, remind me what the American Realness Festival is all about? The American Realness Festival started, I think, five or six years ago. It really is just a curated festival of kind of the best of performances from the year prior. So anything that was presented in either the U.S. or Europe, that is presented at American Realness every January. And it's curated by a fellow by the name of Ben Pryor. Mm -hmm. And I've gone the last three years, and I've really enjoyed the performances. And Mm. there are definitely performances where maybe I leave feeling like, I didn't get it. Mm -hmm. But the fact that I felt like I had to get it, it's a good feeling. It's... It's Hmm. nice to be able to step back and really question what an artist 
where an artist is coming from. So the focus of the festival is not just the best of pieces, but with an emphasis on pieces that are experimental or new or stretching boundaries? Would that be accurate? It it tends to be boundary-blurring, conceptual-based artists. And it's American and European, even though it's called American illness. Correct. So that's such a large question. I mean, anyone can take that anywhere, but... I wonder if there's a way that American audiences can be more open, like if work like that could become more mainstream. And Mm. I don't know if it's the case where it is more mainstream in Europe. The audience seems more open to the challenge, just to to take it in. And and I'm sure there's there's a huge audience here that's open to it. And and I feel like... Well, why do we think the American Realness Festival itself isn't accessed by more people? marketing or yeah i'd say people know about it i mean i think it's maybe it's not a hugely promoted festival i um, I mean i think we kind of just also don't have a culture of dance in the u.s unfortunately and we're seeing that change in the flashy commercial world more and more Mm. of course we're trying to help people access dance more ourselves but Maybe over time, as people grow in their awareness of an interest in the art form, maybe they'll start exploring more of the back roads of it. Mm-hmm. But I feel like we're so focused on sports. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what's special about these kinds of um, French festivals, where it's mm-hmm. just, you know, it's like, it's performance. Like, it doesn't have to be specifically dance. It's just And Fringe, I think theater. most people know about and attend. Very, very much so. Like, but I mean, more the the idea of this kind of festival is, or these kinds of works to presented to to a, to a larger audience. I feel like it's 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 nothing too new in the the American dance culture, culture or history. Rather, I feel like you know, there's Judson Church works and stuff like this that have, that were at the time very groundbreaking and very challenging and mm-hmm. but it's just uh it's uh it's funny like you say snobbery it's like <laughs> you know it's it's a thing of you know who's in the know or it's an acquired taste i suppose it's you know um it's many things it's it's really i mean but then i, I suppose that's what makes it special because it's uh it's a, it's a special audience it's a special work yeah and i hope i hope it is presented more and more you know, on a larger scale within the city and throughout the states because I feel like, you know, this kind of work should be seen. It should be seen by all, and I think it it will continue to be. Maybe we will have to bring it to fourth graders in a school and see Mm -hmm. how they react. (laughs) Oh, yeah. The special ones who react the right way. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) But that's the thing, like Jess said, like, uh, it's you leave this kind of work sometimes feeling maybe alienated maybe be like i'm not really sure what i just saw what i was supposed to take away from that or or you can totally relate and be like oh yeah i totally got that and maybe you didn't get it at all well and we talked um, to brock a little bit about how what the right way is to present a work to an audience and how to make it accessible to an audience without necessarily having to explain your art you know in another medium i'm certainly of the opinion that it helps to give people a little bit of context or a little bit of background and what they're watching and i think as brock put it why it's special or why it's important or, or why it has value i don't know i'm sure his words were very specific but you know, what do you think do you think that there's maybe maybe people need to have a better understanding of where the choreographer is coming from and what they're creating or should they be more open to just trying to understand or not understanding 
context is everything, I suppose, you know, um, if you understand or if you have at least uh, a little bit of knowledge of where this the person created the work, what their, their practice is based and if they come from, you know, a queer approach or if they just come from a movement approach or however you want to identify your work and if you as an audience member are open to that that's all it should take it should just you know an open mind so maybe people need to be more open-minded too which mm-hmm. is probably true uh create a culture of open-mindedness yeah yeah Sure. To-do list. So I do want to ask you about your sound design experience because that sounds really fascinating. And I don't really know anyone who comes from the dance world but also has this interest. Hmm. Um, so tell us how you got into that and what that process is like when you're working with a choreographer. I like to dance to music. I love music. It's really um, sound is... Not where I'd say a lot of my own work comes from, but definitely um, it's a, a huge influence on in where I decide to, to take the direction I decide to take. Because, you know, what you hear is, it's, it's a total experience. What you hear, what you see with sound, it can even be what, what you feel. You know, like, you know, if you're into bass music, you feel bass. You know, you can, you can totally be a part of your experience. So that's that's pretty important to me I feel like I have a friend who I've done some work for on a couple pieces back in Basel and it's usually a pretty um close process he'll give me direction he'll give me sounds that he's interested in like he'll say oh I'm really into just the idea of having a a heartbeat a constant heartbeat and then but I don't want this sound like a heartbeat if you can just you know make it sound like that but different and then I can take it and play with it, manipulate it, bring it back to him. He's like, no, not quite that way. Some Something heavier or something. Just give me a, a characteristic and I'll try and go there. It's just communication between, yeah, recording sounds is also a big part of it. And, like, we did something where we just kind of recorded stuff at the train station and then just, you know, from there you take that, that sample, manipulate it, and just see what comes out of it. Um, that's so original as compared to just selecting a song from... Philip Glass or any musician and just playing it but that sounds like it's really part of the creative process which is really great yeah I mean I think it's you know if you're really trying to articulate something specific you might need a specific sound this is really really interesting thank you so much for talking to us thank you Europe and the U.S. and sound design and choreography and dancing and everything that you're involved in it's really fun cool thank you thank you so um, everyone, please check out our Facebook page if you haven't and you're listening. It's Potada on Facebook. Just search it and like the page. And uh, our website is potada.com. Very easy. Um, but please do also, if you're not, access our podcast through iTunes because I think that gives us magic iTunes brownie points or something like that. So thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs>